All of our interviews are brought to you by Aaron's Auto Center in Marion. They are your one-stop repair center. You can call Aaron's Auto Center today at 618-993-5268. I hope you don't have to call them. I hope everything's running smoothly. But um, especially you folks in Marion and Williamson County, they're dependable and they'll uh, communicate with you as the process is ongoing and they're affordable. Aaron's Auto Center in Marion. You can also send me a text message on the text line at 618-426-3308. That's the landline for this fine radio station. And we'd love to hear from you on the text line. Uh, we are going to have an interview in the studio today. And it is a uh, interview that uh, I think I've maybe five years ago or so, uh, this gentleman joined me in the studio. He also happens to be my father, Joe Stevens, and uh, it's good to see you. Hey, how you doing? Glad, doing, glad to be here. Doing fine. The uh, The last time you were on the program, we uh, talked about a similar topic to what we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. today, and that was back whenever you had uh, done some work to dedicate a Civil War memorial in Ducoin. Yes. And, yes. and we're going to be generally talking about... Um, Civil War history and its impacts on Southern Illinois, because over the last, I don't know how many years, I really don't know anybody who has um, read as much as you have about that particular topic. Well, it's a topic that's fascinated me since I was a boy. When I was just in about second, first, second grade, it was the 100th anniversary of the Civil War. Okay. And that was where I first got my interest in it. But since then, I have read, I have researched, um, and looked into it because it is, people try to simplify it, and it's a very, very complicated thing. Uh, The Civil War, why it started, what happened, it's, uh, people like to put things in little boxes like everything black and white. The Civil War is full of gray areas, and the Civil War here in the Mississippi Valley, which was called the Western Theater, was the probably the most violent. Uh, it was a very nasty exchange. You know, you, you mentioned something there about your first interest in it. You went to Sacred Heart catholic schools and do coin yes i did and but you you have a that maybe not vivid memory but a a real memory of that hundred year anniversary being something that was highlighted in that school oh yes it was highlighted everywhere at the time actually uh there were things on television about it and a lot of books were being published and uh you know uh at the time, there were even widows of Civil War veterans. Still alive. Still alive. And the reason being is the Civil War pension, if you were in active duty and particularly in combat, was very, very well. Uh, my great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, right after the war, five, six years after the war, received his pension. He got a dollar a day, $365 a year pension from the government, which in 1870, 
that's a pretty good little chunk of money. Well, yeah. You know, and uh, so what the veterans would do, a lot of the older veterans, if they had a, a, a young lady like a friend, a friend's daughter, they would get married knowing full well he would probably not make it through the winter, but she would receive his pension. And it was just, you know, handing it down. Sure. And uh, a legal way to give a benefit to somebody who you wanted to help for. Right. Yes. Because maybe she was 18 and maybe he was 78, but she got the pension the rest of her life. Interesting. I'd never heard that before. (laughs) The last one died. Just not too terribly long ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps the Civil War is not as long ago as we uh, think that it was in some ways, and that being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about that interest in the Civil War led you to raise money, and we interviewed you about that here on the uh, on the show a few years ago. And there is a Civil War memorial now in uh, DuCoin's uh, Kai's Park that uh, you helped uh, organize. Wh- whom is that memorial specifically dedicated to? It's dedicated to the men of Ducoin that that served and those that died. Uh, it's really extraordinary. Ducoin was only about eight years old when the war broke out. Yet the city, and when we say the city, the surrounding farms called Ducoin home because that's where they got their mail. But the city of Ducoin had over 400 enlistments for a town that's six, seven years old and had over, I can document, 99 dead. And I've got a lot of people that just vanished. So think about that. A town that's just a few years old, and loses a hundred people, and probably wasn't more than a couple thousand in population. It wasn't real big. Ducoin at that time, because the railroad and the coal there was a boom town. But even so, I mean, if any town like Murfreesboro or Ducoin right now lost over a hundred men in a conflict. That would be very impactful. Well, yeah, it would be very significant, yeah. Yes. And uh, so I just began the research not knowing where it would go. And when I finally finished my booklet that contains everything, it's in, in the library at DuCoin, uh, I was amazed at what we had. And then I got with some friends, and we raised the money and put the memorial in Kai's Park. And, of course, sometimes people may wonder, were they all Union dead? Yes. Because there was some uh, sentiment around Southern Illinois, although I think sometimes it's a little exaggerated, um, where people went off and fought in the Confederacy from this area. There were people. There were. Uh, there was a group called the Copperheads right. that met out in Paradise Prairie, out, out there by the family schoolhouse. Uh, during the war, as far as I know, they didn't create any mischief, but I have read the research on that. Uh, but you're not going to find too many open Confederates, particularly during the war, 
because if they didn't go south and they tried to do anything around here, they'd get hung. Yeah, at very least arrested. Yeah, very least arrested. And chances are, wherever they were caught, that'd be their... Final place of being caught. Yeah, that would be it, yes. There's an interesting marker in Murfreesboro that's dedicated to a incident that happened with a guy named Israel Blanchard, who was uh, Johnny Logan's brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. The guy was married to Logan's sister. And um, he was uh, expressing some Confederate sympathies or something around Murfreesboro, and uh, he was thrown in jail for it Mm -hmm. and uh, this caused logan's sister a lot of uh, duress and so she started haranguing to johnny logan like hey aren't you somebody with some political persuasion Mm -hmm. why can't you know can't you get my husband out of jail he was down here drunk at the tavern and said a couple things about you know, all hail the South or whatever, and I need him out of here so we can work and earn a living and support our family, John. Mm-hmm. And there was a, um, a, a a note, and I think that a copy of it could be found at the Johnny Logan Museum where Abraham Lincoln wrote, wrote one sentence, I think, and it says, um, I believe Mr. Blanchard should be let out of jail, a eh, Lincoln? And it was sent to, <laughs> to, 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 to Murfreesboro, and Israel Blanchard was let out and and uh, I su- suspect was a good boy thereafter. That would make your mind your P's and Q's <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. To, uh, so there's a lot of interesting uh, Civil War history in uh, southern Illinois. Oh, yes. Uh, Mount, Mount City National Cemetery, of course, mm-hmm. uh, comes to mind, which I've been there before. I assume you've been. We've never really talked about that. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons... Because of the conditions, it was very difficult to get a corpse from down south up. And one of the reasons we have so many here is because we had the railroad coming north and going south as well. And the art of embalming had just begun a few years before the war. So literally, if you had enough money and your loved one could be identified... They could be shipped home. Uh, Ducoin's IOOF Cemetery has dozens of Civil War veterans buried in it. Yeah, I remember you showing those to me as a child. Mm-hmm. When- and, and that was why, because we were sitting on the rail and a corpse could be shipped up here. And that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why there was a big field hospital at Mound City where um, a bunch of wounded you know, mm-hmm. soldiers were brought back to, to Union soil to be uh, tended to. And that's the reason why Mound City National Cemetery is there, because it, it really started out as a, a hospital cemetery with a lot of mm-hmm. Civil War uh, veterans, Confederate and Union. There's, there's I think, nearly 100 Confederate soldiers buried there mm-hmm. um, because they were brought back as prisoners of war treated there and or whatever may have happened and then died in union custody well yes and you've got to remember the uh, medical they they tried that's not the point but medicine at that point in time was was pretty rough yes sometimes medicine was worse than the injury yeah well there's some scenes in that movie lincoln uh, if you've seen it, that are, uh, mm-hmm. I think, pretty good representations of uh, battlefield medicine was 
not any place that uh, you wanted to find yourself. No. Um, my dad, Joe Stevens, joining me in the studio today. We're talking around some Civil War history as it is impacting uh, or impacted Southern Illinois. We're going to take the first break of the day. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation and in particular uh, talk about a few places that he has visited recently, including uh, Gettysburg, uh, Shiloh, and other Civil War battlefields. It's 1223, coming up today at uh, 1 o'clock, Jay Seculo Radio, and the topic today on Jay Seculo, we'll find out together here. Horrific Revelation is the title, FBI's Multi-State Task Force Targeting Christians. That'll be Jay Seculo's topic today at 1 p.m. A couple of uh, local notes that I wanted to pass along today. Uh, up first... Notice this headline on WSIL TV3 shared the article on the WXAN Facebook page. Authorities are looking for two fugitives in Williamson County. The Williamson County Sheriff's Office said they're looking for Jaquarius Patton, 21 of Heron. Patton is 5 foot 6 inches tall, weighing 143 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. Patton faces charges of theft by threat and has a bond amount set at $75,000. We're also looking for Franklin Kirk, 54 of Marion. Kirk is 5 foot 4, weighing 175 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. Kirk faces a possession of methamphetamine charges as a bond amount set at $20,000. Sheriff's office said the public should not attempt to apprehend or detail these fugitives as they are possibly dangerous but are believed to be in Williamson County. So you can take a look at that on the WXAN Facebook page. Um, also, I got a uh, note from Murdale Baptist Church, and uh, we've always been a big fan of Pastor Paul Hicks there, and we're happy to share this, and it's that Murdale Baptist Church is hosting their ninth annual Great Giveaway. It's a uh, community families in need are invited to Murdale Baptist Church's ninth annual uh, giveaway ministry on Saturday, August the 19th from 9 a.m. until 12 noon. Items to be given away include a number of kitchen and bath linens, dishes, small appliances, electronics, uh, children's items and clothes, toys, furniture, and a number of other miscellaneous items. Uh, you can find out more by going to Murdale Baptist Church's website or just give the church a call uh, to find out all the details on that. Saturday, August the 19th from 9 a.m. <coughs> excuse me, until 12 noon. <coughs> I tell you, when you got twins in daycare, you don't ever fully get well. <coughs> anyway, always dragging something home. In the studio with me today is my father, Joe Stevens, and we're talking about uh, things related to the Civil War and Civil War history here in Southern Illinois. One of the volumes that um, you've read is, um, now I'm having a mind block, I'm sure you'll be able to call his name. Uh, Shelby Foote. Shelby Foote. And uh, is that a four-volume set? It's a three-volume set. and But each volume's like 800 pages. Oh, 800 to 1,000. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's it's huge. And I've read, I've read it twice. Uh, I've read other books written by Mr. Foote. I think... Uh, Probably, it's. I've probably read more words written by 
shall be foot than any other author on the face of the earth. Uh, I would say the Bible, but the Bible was uh, written and inspired by a lot of different prophets and so on. But uh, just for one single author, yes. Well, that's uh, something that I've just never been able to uh, tackle, but it's essentially the the history of the Civil War in granular detail from start to finish. It is. It it goes all the way, you know, from Fort Sumner to Appomattox and everything in between. And after you get into the book, by the time you're in the second book, uh, it's the thing that impressed me and left a lasting thought in my mind was the just immense amount of carnage. I mean, Americans are very, very good at killing people, and they're ex- were exceptionally good at killing one another. It was a horrible thing. Uh, they say today, if we had a similar civil war, we might kill as many as 5 million people. That was, you know... On a percentage uh, basis compared yes, to the population then? Yes. Uh, and you think about it. I mean, there were uh, hundreds of thousands of people killed in, in Shil- at Shiloh, where I just came from. Battle of Shiloh was the first bloodbath of the Civil War. Which is in Tennessee. It's in Tennessee. It was in April of 1862, and it was a two-day battle. And in that two days... They killed more men than had been killed in the United States Army going back to the Revolution. It's uh, just that much carnage. Uh, And it's something that you've mentioned to me in our various conversations over the years that I think is a really important thing for people to understand about the Civil War. Just mm -hmm. from a logistical standpoint, and the reason why so many people did die was that the the, the tactics that the generals employed on the battlefield did not mesh up really with the advances that had exactly. made in in the weaponry they were they were fighting in a way that led to just a lot of casualties because the weaponry was much better than it had been they had the the rifled musket, uh, made a big difference. Uh, most of the generals of the Civil War, and and they learned, and they started changing tactics towards the end quite a bit, but they were using Napoleonic tactics. Now, Napoleon, the famous French general and, and emperor, had smoothbore muskets and smoothbore cannons. They weren't accurate out too very far whatsoever. And the idea was to farm a mass of men who would shoot a volley at the enemy. And it didn't have to be accurate. If you got enough balls in the air, you're going to kill some people. Well, they started trying to do that with men with rifled muskets, and particularly, in this case, Americans, all of which were familiar and most of which owned rifled squirrel hunting rifles, squirrel hunting rifles, like uh, hawking rifles, 
and and they knew how knew their business. They knew what they were doing even before they came into it. And the accuracy was so well that if you stood a whole bunch of men up and marched them towards a bunch of other men, they'd just mow them down. Uh, what amazes me is how long they mowed people down until someone finally said, hey, this is not working. This may not be a good way to go about doing that. That's it. And they had rifled cannons. And, you know, the the Confederates even said, Union artillery is the finest in the world because they could literally kill you a mile away with a rifled, what they called a parrot rifle, which was a cannon, which shot anywhere between a 10 and 20 pound projectile they some of them were so good they could hit particular people i wonder what were i know they were manufacturing u-boats or ironclads uh, not u-boats but mm-hmm. ironclad ships down at Cairo mm-hmm. uh during the course of the civil war uh, was the artillery being made in i assume if you're building ironclads maybe some of that would have been made in southern illinois i don't know i don't know i do know there was an iron foundry at one time at grand tower and i think it was working during the civil war well you would uh, think that they would have been producing that would be easy enough to get the metal down to cairo from grand tower right um and uh they experimented with all different kinds of armor on these boats because basically they were wooden boats that they just sheathed over yeah, with big sheets of iron. Uh, some of them interlocked railroad rails uh, and stuff. And uh, Well, there was a USS Cairo, a USS Mound City, mm-hmm. and a number of others that uh, fought that carried Southern Illinois-based names because that's where they emanated from. Yes, where they were built. And, of course, Southern Illinois projected itself into the South somewhat. But because it was surrounded by rivers, it was very difficult to invade. Or the Confederates would have attempted it. Well, there was a, there were battles at Paducah and or skirmishes mm-hmm. of uh, at Paducah and at Cape Girardeau. Uh, I think those were mostly just Confederate raids trying to come steal horses and ammunition and stuff like that. Uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest invaded Paducah for horses, medical supplies, and ammunition, basically. And what was funny, I always kind of appreciated this, after he left town, the newspaper reported Forrest did not succeed because they had hidden like 300 head of fine horses inside this theater in Paducah. <laughs> so they put 300 horses in a... I guess they just shoved them in the door because they couldn't shove any more in. Well, one of his scouts came in came into Forrest's camp with the newspaper. Forrest read it, raided the place a week later and got those horses. Got all the horses. Yeah, don't. <laughs> you know, uh, you don't. Uh, Print in the paper where your goods are. No. Because we'll come get them. Yeah. Uh-huh. It is uh, 1234. Time's going by quickly. We've got to take a break, which includes the uh, Samron Midwest Contracting Road Report. And we'll be back with more right after this. In the studio with me, as I mentioned, my father, Joe Stevens, you recently uh, went to Shiloh. You mentioned that um, several years ago. You visited Gettysburg. I really don't know if I truly know all of the different places that you have 
vacation to specifically to visit Civil War history? Basically, uh, I've been to Vicksburg, Gettysburg, and Shiloh. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of my interests have been in the Western Theater, basically the Mississippi Valley. I've been close to uh, Belmont in Missouri, but Belmont doesn't exist. The Battle of Belmont was for in a ground of town of that name. The Mississippi River since came up and devoured wa- it, washed it away. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, is Gettysburg the the largest, most sort of ornate of all of the places you've been? Vicksburg is very ornate. Gettysburg is as well. Vicksburg is more confined because it was a siege. Uh, And John A. Logan, of course, was involved there as well. John A. Logan, there is a stretch called Logan's Line. And Logan came in and they made an attack which failed. Uh, But the Confederates were dug in on high ground they didn't have a chance of winning. But he he backed up, and he entrenched all his cannon, where nothing but the muzzles of the cannon were sticking up over the entrenchment. And uh, he gave them a awful thrashing from Logan's line. And they laid siege to Vicksburg. It lasted, shoot, I think about three months. It ended on the 4th of July, and uh, because Grant could bring ammunition down from Cairo, Mm -hmm. which Cairo was a huge supply depot there because of the confluence of the Mississippi and the Ohio, and also with the railroad coming south from the Great Lakes to Cairo, Grant could get all the ammunition he wanted to Vicksburg, down the river. So he required that everyone fire a minimum amount of bullets or cannonballs into Vicksburg every day. The only day he would not do it would be on Sunday, and he would wait until after 1 p.m. on Sunday, and then he'd begin bombarding them again. Yeah, and they called it uh, <clears throat> Prairie Dog Town because of all the holes that had been blown in it. Well, that and all the residents had dug bomb shelters yeah. under their homes or what was left of their homes, and and that's where they lived. They said some some of them were even had carpets laid in them, and they tried to make it as comfortable you know, as possible. Comfortable as possible, and uh, and I don't I think the uh, documentary that ken burns did um said that uh, the city of vicksburg didn't uh, celebrate the fourth of july until i think 1946 or something after the- it was i think it was more like in the 70s yeah but uh i talked to one nice lady there while i was in vicksburg and she said we still don't do that much for fourth of july honey <laughs> well that's when they surrendered right to uh to the union they got a couple text messages in on the text line one from uh, james who's a regular listener he says my grandfather was named uh, after bedford forest and uh, another one says uh, sir there seems to be very old graves at thebes illinois 
was there any activity in that area? Thanks. Uh, from your reading or recollection, do you remember anything specific to Thebes, Illinois? I know it's one of the oldest settlements in southern Illinois. I don't know of any battles that occurred at Thebes, but it is still very possible. Well, that, it's it's in Alexander County, just yeah. you know, up the uh, Mississippi River side from Cairo, and was, um, I believe, the, the county seat perhaps still is. I'm not exactly sure, because there's the uh, old Thebes courthouse that mm -hmm. overlooks the uh, the river there, and there is a railroad uh, line that comes across the river there also. Well, it, it could very well have been an, a hospital center as well. Yeah. Because uh, they could bring people up by riverboat and by train and have them convalesce, many of which were amputees and so forth. A quick Google uh, search says that uh, Abraham Lincoln practiced law there. Um and at the Mississippi River at Thebes is more than four feet deep. I'm not exactly sure. Of course it is. I mean, <laughs> that's an odd statement to make. And mm -hmm. the uh, town became a, a very busy steamboat port, and Union troops passed through Thebes on their way to attack the South during the American Civil War. So um, there would have been uh, probably maybe not as much activity there as Carroll, but considerable. Well, you have to remember any place like that, there for in my research uh out of every 10 men that died uh three would have died from combat and combat wounds and the other seven would have died from either accident or disease yeah disease was really the, the disease was terrible the reason for that was many of these young men were farmers and if you were raised on a farm, you maybe went to town a few times a year. You were never exposed to... You weren't in a big congregational setting, except for maybe on Sunday at church. Diseases. Right. You weren't. And uh, suddenly you're thrown in an army with thousands of men. With uh, no sanitation. Sanitation was dreadful. And people got sick and died. But uh, I would say... Seven out of every ten men, and I've looked at uh, almost 500 documents that died of disease, were farmers. Mm. And it was simply because I don't think they had the immune system that city dwellers had. One of our uh, ancestors died of uh, disease. Yes, at, at, Vic at Vicksburg. Vicksburg. Yes. He, uh, he died of... Uh, dysentery yeah and uh and it's terrible i should be able to call his name but i'm nicholas betts nicholas betts that's he right. was grandma band's father mm -hmm. and uh he was a coal miner i've got a picture of him holding with his lamp on his head and holding a pair of picks under his arm yeah no i've seen that yeah. picture it's one of those oval frames that used to mm -hmm. hang on a wall at grandma's house mm -hmm. exactly yeah. It's 1249. We've got to take the uh, last break of the day, and we'll be back to wrap it up right after this. Marion. Um, 
Well, how do you, uh, you know, wrap up the, uh, the the feeling that you get, or is there a uh, is there a singular uh, story? Is there a singular lesson that uh, that stands out to you throughout the course of all your reading, or, or the places that you've uh, visited concerning the Civil War? Well, it was the Civil War broke down, and it concerns me today. It broke down because we had a series of incompetent presidents. And I, without getting political, I sometimes question people we've had over the last few years. And there began to be a lot of divisiveness in the country. And, uh, you know, it led to the most tragic thing that ever happened to the United States. And I've, I've read a lot of history, uh, and particularly American history, uh, from the Revolution forward to today. And some days I wake up and look at the world I'm seeing about me, and I'm thinking, are we not heading there again? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, too many people taking care of their own needs, uh, too many politicians staying with their side and against the other when really they're supposed to represent America and American people. <coughs> and uh, I see that now. And, uh, you know, as Winston Churchill said, people who ignore history are condemned to repeat it. <coughs> and uh, some days I watch this world as it's evolving, and I wonder if we're not trying to repeat it again. Well, history has a way of doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't know a better way to uh, put a bookmark in it than that, but um, I appreciate you coming over and being my guest today. Glad to be here. It was, it was a good time. All right. You're listening to WXA and Ava. Coming up next, Jay Seculo.